Matthew 7, 1. Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. But I was told that I can't like walk around back and forth because we record our sermon song. So I need to stay within this carpeted <laughs> thing. So if I like venture off, somebody go, get back. Okay, so I can kind of, this is... Um, before we get to what judging is, can we just all maybe agree? Some of you might go, I don't quite agree, but I'll go into two things. One, we kind of internally know when we're being judged, yes? And secondly, we hate the feeling, yes? Yes? Anybody disagree with those? Okay. You just catch them in the corner of your eye, and, and you could tell they just kind of judge you, whether it be sometimes by your race, ethnicity, or your appearance, or maybe who you're with. And sometimes, and most of the time, there are no words that are spoken. It's just a look, just a glance, just a, but you know. Um, I've um, been in a setting where I've been with a bunch of pastors, you know, at a pastor's conference, and we'll be going out to eat, and I'll order a beer, and then everybody after me orders a glass of water. And they're all looking at me like, he's a drinker, you know, one of those. <laughs> and then I've been on the other end, where I go out, I'll be like, oh, I'm going to be the good one. So I order like a glass of water, water please. And everybody else does what? Orders beers. And they're all looking at me like, what, are you too holy, too spiritual? <laughs> Feels terrible. And I've been at those kinds of settings. Um, some of you are in interracial relationships. And you go back to your small town. And nobody has to say anything. He just, he just, it, it's a terrible feeling. Some of you are divorced single moms, like the letter that I read. And you walk into church, and again, nobody has to say anything, right? It could be someone at the door. Sometimes people give you advice or suggestions, but all they're doing is really judging you. You know what I'm talking about? Under the guise of that. How many of you have mother-in-laws that under the guise of giving you advice about how to raise your children, and you feel judged like that's not how we raise our kids? Well, thank you very much for your advice. <laughs> but we've been in both chairs, right? Not only have we been the recipient, but we've done the giving as well. Anybody want to confess? You're sitting on a train, and you look across, and you're thinking to yourself, people can't wear that. She obviously thinks she could. Just a thought. <laughs> or you'll be at the gym. Can we be real today? Okay? And stop judging me. Okay? We're going to be real today. Stop judging me. Because you don't know me. Okay? So we, <laughs> I'm going to be saying that a lot. Stop judging me because you don't know me. Because that's what we're all saying. 
Or you'll be at the gym, and you know, it's a thought. You just be at the gym, you look at a guy, you're like, he's clearly trying to make up for some lack in his life. It's just a thought, just go through your mind, right? Or there have been examples like this. Some of us not just think it, but we feel the need to say something to them because we live by the model that says honesty is saying everything that's true. Sorry, that's, that's not honesty. That's stupidity, right? If you do that, you will have no friends. Um, <laughs> most of the time, we don't say anything. It's just a look. Or sometimes we won't say anything to them, but we'll say something to our friends. Right? So instead of me directly judging you, we will collectively sort of judge you quietly, sometimes in the form of prayer requests. Psst, I could tell she's struggling, so pray for her. <laughs> don't tell anybody. We're really concerned, but we just want to pray for her. I could tell she's struggling. Spread the word. (laughs) And then there's this, and I think our church struggles with this. I'm just going to call some of us out. We are judgmental towards other judgmental Christians. I can't stand them. I can't stand them, Peter. They're so legalistic. The Bible thumpers. They're so narrow-minded. They're so unloving. They're so self-righteous. I hate them. So we're self-righteous towards the self-righteous. So we're judgmental about other judgmental Christians. Yeah, but they're so self-righteous, they're so judgmental. But are we not doing the same thing to them that they are doing to others? And here's a couple of things about being judgmental or being judged that I think maybe all of us could relate to. Number one, the worst thing about being judged is that you and I don't ever get to present your case. When you get that look, you don't get to go, whoa, 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 I saw that look. Let me explain. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you where I come from. Let me tell you the whole thing because if you heard, maybe you might be a, We don't get to do that. You don't ever get to present your case. The second thing is when you feel judged by someone, did anybody here, when you ever felt judged by someone, respond by saying, you know, in judging me, you have made me feel so small. You have made me feel so miserable in judging me that you made me want to change. In judging me, you made me feel so small, so bad, so miserable that you actually made me want to change. You actually, frankly, made me want to be more like you. Anybody ever respond like that? You judging me doesn't make me want to change me. You judging me just pushes me in the other direction. You judging me just makes me want to go, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Look, I'm not always defending the church or Christians But one of the things we have to realize is in our culture, because Christians don't get this right, we've lost much of our credibility and power of witness. Anybody agree? The church has said that group needs to stop doing this, and those people need to start doing that, and and then you just need to straighten up, and we've got these verses to prove that we're right. But because we don't understand the principle that we're going to talk about today, people aren't changing. They're running in the opposite direction, just like you and just like me when we feel judged. And maybe we're not reading our Bibles carefully, but can somebody tell me where Jesus said, blessed are the right, for they will win an argument. See, we would rather win an argument, yes? We would rather be right. Last time I checked, though, I don't know too many people that have been won by an argument into the kingdom, but a lot of people have been loved into the kingdom, have been served into the kingdom. We would rather read an argument. Jesus didn't call us to be right. He calls us to die, to our pride, to our self-righteousness, and even to our need to be right. But we've sat in both chairs, and we've been on the receiving end as well as the giving end of judging them, him, or her. This is an incredibly important word um, for the church. And again, I'm going to speak to both groups 
because I've been there. And, and by the way, have I mentioned every sermon that I've had to preach, something will happen that week. I'm going, good Lord, I'm not living this. I need to do this better. And today I stand before you with an enormous issue in my life where I am broken by it because I need to live this. I need to be true to this, and I need to be a kingdom person that's obedient to what I'm going to talk about today. But I struggle, I struggle, I struggle. Verse 1. Let's just go through this passage together. Do not judge. Give me like two, three minutes to just talk to one specific group of people and then we'll move on. Here's what some people, even Christians have said when they say do not judge. It's something along with all religions are the same. They're all different paths to the same place. You should never uh, say that someone else's belief system or what they believe is wrong. See, because religion is a private thing, right? So you can't really question what someone believes to be right or wrong. It's a private thing. So we need to respect everybody's belief system and never put into question what it is that they believe. And God, these are the same people who say that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Just two minutes and then we'll move on. They say there's no such thing as absolute truth. All truth is relative. So we need to respect all faith claims. Otherwise, you're being judgmental. You ever hear that? Two minutes and real quick. That statement, there is no such thing as absolute truth. All truth is relative. What is that? That is an absolute truth claim. That's like saying you can't know anything for certain except the fact that you can't know anything for certain. To which I go, but how do you know that for certain? So those who say Christians believe in absolute truth, they're being judgmental. It has nothing to do with what Jesus is saying here. And furthermore, for someone to say all truth is relative, there is no such thing as absolute truth, you're making a claim that you're saying other people shouldn't make. Does that make sense? Okay. What does Jesus mean when he says do not judge? He's not talking about having no value judgments about beliefs wrong or right. What is judging in this sense? In Matthew, to illustrate what judging is, Jesus calls out a self-righteous Pharisee. Some of you remember this passage. He is at the temple praying before God, and in arrogance and self-righteousness, he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I am not like them. And he points to tax collectors and other sinners of the day. And Jesus says, judging. To judge someone is with the posture of self-righteousness and an attitude of superiority, listen very carefully, instead of assessing a position, you dismiss a person. To judge someone is, in, is with an attitude of self-righteousness and an attitude of superiority. Not judging someone's beliefs or a position, but it's writing someone off. It's dismissing them. It's condemning them. It's saying, you, I want to have nothing to do with you. It's saying, I want you out of my life. And you can do this and I can do this without any hostility. It's much easier to just trivialize someone. It's much easier to go, you're inconsequential. It's much easier to go, you're not my type, you're not my kind, you're not my class. It's much easier to go, how can you possibly believe that and call yourself a Christian? We're done. Real quick, some examples of how we judge someone. I'll put this up here. One, you judge someone when you say, I can forgive them, but I'll never forget. Is there a difference? And they're saying, I'm not actually going to kill you, but I want to have nothing to do with you. What is judging? Not assessing a position is dismissing a person and saying, we're done. I don't have nothing to do with you. 
What is judging? Here's another example. You judge someone when you refuse to be merciful. You and I are going to be in stores where there's going to be long lines. And you're sitting there, and the cashier is really, really slow. And you could either stand there and go, you know, she's probably having a really bad day. Maybe she's new. Maybe she's in training. Maybe she's just overwhelmed with life. Or we can go, when I get up there, I'm going to give her a piece of my mind. What kind of a store service is this? Have you been merciful? Have you received mercy? Are you a recipient of mercy? Have you mercy? Here's another example real quick. You judge someone when you gossip. Can I just ask those of us that gossip, including myself, what could your motive, my motive possibly be to listen to someone talk bad about someone or to talk bad about somebody? What could, because I want to help them, please stop it. What could our motive possibly be when we talk bad about someone or, or, or some of us don't say anything, but we're in the presence of someone who is just going off in the name of prayer request about another brother or sister. Do you know what judging is? Do you know why we gossip? We do it so that we could feel better about ourselves. When we talk bad about somebody, when we put somebody down, all it is is an effort for us to make ourselves better, feel better about ourselves. When we attack those who do what we're not tempted to do, when we attack those who do what we're tempted to do but seem to get away with it, all we're doing is trying to feel better about ourselves. When we attack somebody that we fear are better than us or more advantage over us, we sometimes have it easier than us. All we're doing is trying to overcome our inferiority and our inadequacy. Church, can I say, you will never feel better by feeling bitter. You and I, speaking ill of others will never cure us of our inadequacy, our insecurities. What does it mean to judge it's not turning a blind eye. Listen very carefully to people's sins or faults. It's not, okay, I'm just not going to think and, cr- and suspending critical faculties and refusing to discern between good and evil and truth and falsehood. God says you've been created in the image of God and you've been given ability to discern truth and evil, truth and falsehood. You've been given the ability and the responsibility to confront people with truth. But to judge someone is an act of self-righteousness and arrogance. Instead of assessing a position, you dismiss someone. Say you're inconsequential. We're done. I don't have anything to do with you. Hmm. Then Jesus goes on and says, do not judge or you too will be judged. By who? It doesn't say. Why? That's not the point. What is the point? Verse 2, for in the same way you judge others, you too will be judged. With the measure, and the word that literally means amount or weight, you use, it will be measured to you. Please listen very carefully. Jesus is not saying that there are no sins, there are no flaws and weaknesses or others that need to be addressed. Jesus is not saying that there are things that people need to confront. What is his point? In verse 12 of chapter 7, if you go a little bit later, as he's sort of summing up the Sermon on the Mount, this is what he says. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. What's he saying? He's saying treat others the same way you want to be treated. In the area of judgment, he's saying, I want you to apply the golden rule. I want you to, in other words, judge others in the way that you want others to judge you. I want you to judge others in the way that you want God 
to judge you. Can I just share something with you? Here's how I want God to judge me. When, I, when God judges, I want him to take everything into consideration. <laughs> Can I get an amen? I, I want him to take into consideration the fact that I was born in Korea. I want him to take into consideration the fact that I came to this country church when I was what? 10 years old. <laughs> I want him to take into consideration that I get serious. I'm, I'm, look, I'm, I'm being vulnerable and open this morning. I want him to take into consideration the fact that I came in when I was 10 years old and because I couldn't speak English well, I was really insecure. And because I was really insecure and I found out I was somewhat good at sports, I threw myself into sports and I was super, super competitive. Super competitive in sports to make up for my own insecurities. I also want God taking the consideration that, that yeah, yeah, when I was in high school, my first girlfriend, because I was so insecure, I broke up with her and I cheated really bad. And then when I was dating other people, I lived with this year that I might find the perfect person that I want to be with for the rest of my life and then God to punish me that she would break up with me. And because of that fear and insecurity, every time I kind of got close to somebody, I would push them away. In other words, when God judges me, I want him to take the whole story into consideration, where I was born, whatever, so that God would look at me and go, shoot, no wonder he's so messed up. <laughs> I got to give him a break. Welcome to the kingdom, Peter. <laughs> Can I ask you something? When you're judged, isn't that how you want to be judged? Don't you want someone to take into the consideration your entire story? Do you not want somebody to look at you and go, you know what, there's some things about you that I'm kind of struggling with, but I probably don't know the whole story. I probably don't have the entire context in mind. So I'm not going to take a slice of what I see and judge you, condemn you, and dismiss you for it. <laughs> I want a lot of slack. You want a lot of slack. Verse 3, so why do you look, literally it means, why do you care at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? This is life transforming. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, why do you even care about that the way you do? Why do you... Why do you even care? No, let me push you further. What is, what is it that's in you? Not them. What is it that's in you and that's in me that you feel this need to point that out? Can I say it even more sort of could it be that what you see in them that bothers you is a reflection of something that's in you? Why do you look at the speck? Speck. Tiny speck saw this in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank the plank in your own to which you and I go what plank I don't have a plank I don't have a plank what plank I am so pure I am so holy I am so righteous they have a problem I don't have a problem 
This is transformational. Jesus is not saying, by the way, man, Matt, this is really hard to stay within the four, four, four uh, rug thing. I feel like I'm in prison. <laughs> I feel like I'm trapped. Some people look at this and go, you know why you shouldn't judge? Because you know, they got issues, you got issues. So who are you to judge? You got issues. Jesus is saying, go deeper. It's not just, we all would agree. How would I judge you, dismiss you when I'm not all that? We all would agree, unless you're completely in denial. We all agree, like, yeah, that's not right. But Jesus is saying something even deeper. And as always, I consult C.S. Lewis, who always says it much better than I do. There is no fault which we are more conscious of ourselves. And the more we have it, the more we dislike it in others. I'm talking of pride or self-conceit. It's because I want to be at the big noise at the party that I'm annoyed that someone else is being the big noise at the party. See, when I see something in you that bothers me, Jesus is going, that means there's probably something in you about that. That you ought to be dressing. Because why look at the speck and ignore the plank in your own? Do you see what Jesus is getting at? <sighs> Verse 4. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck, tiny little speck, out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own? And if your response is, I don't have a plank, they have a speck, they have issues, I don't. Jesus is saying, good Lord. <laughs> Whatever it is in you that you see in them might be a reflection of something that's going on. Verse 5, you hypocrite. That is in this context, someone who sees something in someone else's life and goes for that instead of yours. First, everybody say first. First, everybody say first. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is not saying that there is a speck. Jesus is not saying that they're wrong. Jesus is not saying that there is sin to be addressed. Jesus is not saying there are faults and flaws. But what he is saying is that our first line of response as a follower of Jesus, as a kingdom person needs to be looking in the mirror instead of looking directly at them. And if you're not willing to do that because you're self-righteous, too insecure, or too overly confident in your position, Jesus says, you're a big, fat hypocrite. Isn't this why much of our culture is written off the church? Latest survey I read, over 50%, they were asked, what's the first word that comes to your mind when you think of Christians in this country? They said, hypocrite. Hypocrite. And the thing that I'm realizing is, you guys, it's not that our culture doesn't have a speck in its eye. It's that they look at the church and see an unwillingness on the part of the church to look at the plank in our own. The church and Christians especially, we don't name our own brokenness to the world. Can I just say something? If you're not broken, broken will, if you're not broken, I'm not broken, broken people will smell you and stay away from you. Because according to Luke 15, the only one that dances with God is the prodigal son. But God doesn't approve that kind of behavior. And you might be right. We've got all these verses to prove that you're right. But Jesus says because we first don't look in the mirror, we lose our credibility with the people we need to be addressed. People won't listen to you because they're seeing the same lack of self-awareness that we're accusing them of. 
So when we go to them and say, well, you need to change that. You need to change this. People will say, but you're not even willing to look in the mirror and see the problem in your own life. So why should I listen to you, dad? Why should I listen to you, husband? Why should I listen to you, mom? And yes, why should I listen to you, pastor? And listen to how he finishes, verse 5. First, what does he say first? Why does he say first? Because there's a... Are you with me this morning? There's a first because there's a second. First, uh, first what? Call them? First, email them? First, confront them? First, gossip about them? First, what? Say it with me. Take the plank out of your own eye. What does that mean? Look in your mirror. First, look in the mirror. Why? Because there's something about you and me. When something irritates us, chances are I have an issue. Very often related to the thing about you that irritates me. That doesn't mean that somebody needs to say something, and we're going to get to that. That doesn't mean that it needs to be addressed. But I need to address me first. What good is that going to do? I says I want to help them. But I need to, listen to this, prepare someone. To talk to them about that. But, but God, somebody needs to say something. I know. God says, look, I need to prepare someone to talk to them about that person. And the best way that you and I are prepared to say something about that person is what? First, look in the mirror. And if you hear me say that, and some of you sitting there and, go, and something rises and you're like, oh, but somebody needs to save them. I think all things are okay and no fault. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what I'm saying. Yes, there are things that need to be addressed. There are sins. There are truth-speaking things we need to do. Jesus is not saying we don't need to do that. He's saying there is a way to do that. And the way to do that is what? First, look in the mirror. Why? Because then, there's a second. You will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. To which some of us go, aha! There is something that we need to address. Yes, there is. But Jesus says that's not the point. The point is first, look in the mirror. Because God says, I am concerned about them as much, if not more than you are. But I want you to be prepared to have a conversation with them that doesn't drive them further into their behavior. If you and I don't look in the mirror and we talk to somebody, all we wind up doing is driving them further into their behavior. And God says, that's not what I want. I want deliverance for them. I want freedom for them. I want healing. I want wholeness. I want repentance to come out of this. But in order for that to happen, I need you to look in the mirror first. What does that do? It prepares you to be the vessel that would talk to them. How do I know if this is an issue in my life? Let me just put up some things that I thought about. Pay attention to the specific emotion their sin elites in you. Elicits in you. Does this sin make you angry? Because some of you go, it makes me angry, Peter, because me and God were like this. And what makes him angry makes me angry. Excuse me. 
I'm glad we could all laugh about it because I was going to say, I was going to be all serious and go, for those of us to think that, trust me, your sense of justice, God's sense of justice, not on the same par. Can I get an amen? If they make you angry, pause for a moment and go, what is it about something that they do that just gives me? No, no, no. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Mirror, mirror. Does this make you jealous? I can't stand the way he's at the center of attention all the time. He's so full of himself. Is that really the issue? Is it because you want to be the center of attention? Until you strip away your jealousy, you're not going to be able to help him. Here's a third question. Oh, this is hard. How do you do with self-centered, boastful, and self-absorbed people? Some of you are like, I'm doing okay. I'm married to one right now. Yeah. Jenny, I heard that. Okay. Church, if you can't tolerate, treat gently, and yes, even enjoy the strengths and gifts of self-centered, boastful, self-absorbed people, it may be because we are in the grip of our own pride. Then Jesus almost anticipates the fixers among us. I'm almost done here. Who's going to ask? But somebody has to say something, Peter. Somebody has to do something. I mean, this sounds all good, but how do we talk to them? Here's what Jesus says. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. I am deeply indebted to Dallas Willard. Anybody know Dallas Willard? Divine Conspiracy was one of the life-changing books for me. He has a commentary on, on, on this passage, and this is what he says. He says this verse is often used this way, right? The pearls are the things of God. How many of you heard this? The pearls are things of God, truth, things of the kingdom. And what they're saying is don't give people truth if they can't handle it. Anybody heard that? Don't give people truth if they can't understand it. Don't give people truth if they can't appreciate it. It's a waste of your time. So don't, how many of you heard that interpretation? And Dallas Willard goes, well, if that's the truth, that people don't give people the truth if they can't understand it, appreciate it, or comprehend it, then he says, then why did Jesus ever come down to earth? Why did Jesus ever come down to earth, ask truth, and to speak truth and be truth to people who didn't understand, who didn't appreciate, who didn't welcome him? The issue is not, Dallas Willard goes on to say, worthiness, but everybody say this, helpfulness. Helpfulness. Pigs and dogs, he says, are not people who can't handle the truth. He says a simple question, which I've never seen. He goes, what do you feed pigs and dogs? Food. <laughs> you don't feed them pearls. Why? Because if they're hungry pigs, they're going to bite on their pearl, and they're going to swallow it, and they're going to what? Choke on it. And then they're going to turn on you and bite you. Why? Because at least you're edible. And he says the issue is not whether they're worthy. This is not whether they can appreciate it. The key is not pushing valuable things on people. It's about treating people with the balance of truth and love. It's an issue of treating people with balance of truth and love. And nobody but Jesus understood balance better of truth and love. And here's two things. And we're done. Jesus says if you have love without truth, it's not really truth. If you have love without truth, it's not really truth. Why? Because you're not giving them what they need. If you love without truth, they say you love somebody, but you never confront, you never call them out, you never loving and gently tell them what they need. You're essentially loving yourself. You're essentially loving yourself. If you're afraid to have a hard conversation with somebody because you're afraid of losing their friendship, losing their approval, if you fear man more than you fear God, 
If you fear man more than you fear God, and you're unwilling to, in your love, speak truth, Jesus is not really love because you're not giving them what they need. And I've waited until right now to say this to some of you. Some of you are sitting there going, I've listened. listen, Peter, I'll tell you why I don't speak truth. Because I am very aware of this big old plank in my eye. I'm very well aware of the fact that I'm not doing I don't even know if I'm living a life of a Christian, man. So how could I possibly speak truth? How could I possibly be a witness? How could I possibly be, be this kingdom person and do this thing to people when I don't have my act together? Two things real quick. One, maybe this is your wake-up call, yes? Maybe this is your wake-up call, yes? Some of you are spiritually so far away from God. I want you to get good news. The Bible says repent and believe the good news. Maybe this is your wake-up call because you're sitting here going, Peter, I'm that light. That's flamed out. That's hiding under a bush. I'm that salt that has lost the saltiness. I'm at, God says, come to me. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. And here's the amazing thing about the gospel. God says, there's no lecture. There's no time out. Read the gospel and see how Jesus treated people who acknowledged their sins and said, God, I am deeply flawed. I am in sin. God says, there's cleansing, there's redemption, there's forgiveness. And then secondly, I want to remind you, child of God, that God has called you more than just to live a life of sin management. Child of God, I want to remind you that God has a mission for you, that every single one of us has a mission of being sent. All of us are sent to our friends, schools, neighborhoods. God has a mission for our lives. and these are the, God has a mission for our life to go into a world that's hurting and broken and to hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has a mission for you that only you can fulfill. Isn't it time that we got over sin management and just behaved okay? Isn't it about time that we got our relationship with God right and become the witness that God wants us to be? Amen? So this isn't about making you feel guilty, go, oh, I need to be, I need to act right, and I need to get my act together so that I can be a good Christian. No, this is about the fact that God has a calling on your life to be salt and light. God has a calling on your life to be a kingdom person. And if the thing that's keeping you is, who am I? I'm not worthy. God says, forgiveness, redemption. Love without truth, Jesus says, isn't really love. But here's the thing. Truth without love. Truth without love. That's pushing valuable things on people, judging them, holding them to some standard that you think they should reach for and writing them off for not meeting them, dismissing them, and furthermore saying, I want to have nothing to do with you. That's not truth. That's falsehood. When you have truth without love, that's not truth because God, the embodiment of truth, the Bible says, is love. See, so you can come on up. The point that Jesus is making in this entire passage is not the waste of the pearl, but that the person that you're giving the pearl, the truth to, is not being helped. You have to speak truth. You have to confront you have to be very careful, though, about how and when you do that because you only know your story. Can I just say something to you guys? One of the most difficult things for me, and I don't do this well. I, I just confess, I don't do this well. Is so that when I'm in a counseling meeting with somebody and I know meet them for the first time or second time, you know, and again, this is a huge area of growth for me, so confession time, you know, the way I'm wired, I, I want to sit there and go, yeah, and I've heard, and you need to, and this is like where I go, you know? And I've made some terrible mistakes over the years as a pastor, and a lot of people have extended grace to me. 
And I'll never forget what a pastor mentor of mine said to me. He said, Peter, when you meet somebody who's just jacked up, messed up, and yes, they're struggling with the same sins, and yes, it's an immaturity issue. He said, when you sit down in front of them, he said, I want you to pause, and I want you to think about this. He said, I want you to think about the greatness of the soul that is sitting in front of you, not because of who they are, greatness of the because of the Christ that is being formed in them and because of the work that God is doing in them without you knowing. He said, I want you to get to a place where you can be in awe of that because unless you are in awe and humble by the greatness of the soul and who they are in front of you, don't even bother saying anything because it's just going to hurt. Before I talk to those of us that are judger types, I just want to also just say one last thing to those of us who struggle with anyone saying anything to us. And you're sitting there today going, you know what, this is, I, I don't want anybody to speak anything to me. I just want to just talk to you for a minute. For those of us that really struggle and resist, when anybody wants to say anything to us and confront us or tell us truth, maybe they've come to you and maybe they've come to me because they've been exactly where you are and they know exactly where you're headed. And just maybe, just maybe, they're not there because they're self-righteous, arrogant. Just maybe, just maybe, they are there because they love you too much to leave you alone. Is it possible that their motive, is it possible that their motive is because they have been exactly where you are and they know where you're headed? And is it possible that they've been sent by God to say to you, I love you too much to let you be where you are? And if you just throw up the smoke screen of, don't judge me, you don't know me, then you may never learn because you'll never listen and you'll never grow. And I'll never grow because we'll hide behind something that we've used all our lives to shield ourselves from truth. One of the worst things you can do is just blow everybody off because you just assume, I don't want to hear it, I don't need to hear it. Could it be, could it possibly be that they love you and care you? So then how? Don't make a New Year's resolution. Don't, don't, don't go, okay, starting January, I'm going to be less judgmental. Don't go, I'm going to gossip less. We need a heart transformation. You don't, need, you don't need a resolution. We need a heart transformation. The heart transformation comes because of the gospel. How does the gospel come into our hearts daily and weekly? Here's the first one. Admit the truth about yourself. And you know this definition that we use in our church? Although I am more wicked and more sinful than I dare believe. Can we all say that together? Here we go. Ready? Although I am more wicked and more sinful than I dare believe. Let's say it again. Although I am more wicked and more sinful than I dare believe. You'll never speak the truth in love if you cannot and are not willing to admit the truth about you and truth about me. And what is that truth? At the end of the day, we are wicked, helpless sinners in need of God's mercy. And daily and weekly, this truth just needs to be embedded a little deeper, a little deeper, a little deeper, a little deeper. Second part of that gospel, though, is what? 
You need to accept God's verdict for your life. And we'll say this together. Ready? In Christ, I am more loved and more accepted than I dared hope at the same time. One more time. In Christ, I am more loved and more accepted than I dared hope at the same time. What is judging? What is judging? What is spirit of judging? It's saying to somebody, depart from me. I don't want to have anything to do with you. You believe that? You think that? You do that? We're done. We're done. And the gospel reminds us that that's what we deserved. That's what we deserved. We deserved the perfect, holy, righteous God coming to you and coming to me and saying, depart from me. I won't have nothing to do with you. And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet. 2,000 years ago, in this season of Advent, we remember that the Son of God took on flesh and bone, came into this world, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins so that when we believe in Him, the righteous life that He lived becomes ours. And the sins that we deserved is taken by him and crucified once and for all. So that those of us for whom God had all the right to judge and say, I dismiss you. We're not going to be together. God says, come in. There's embrace. There's fellowship. There is, regardless of who you are, what you've done in me. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my beloved in whom I am well pleased. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, for those of us who right now can't forgive someone, always say, I forgive you, but I can't forget. Right now, who get so impatient and lack mercy towards those that need mercy. For those of us for whom gossip is like a second language, for those of us that struggle balancing truth and love and love and truth, whether you are judgmental towards other judgmental people or you're simply judgmental, the way to change, the way to transformation is not, I will do better next time. It's not, let me work on this more. It's a heart transformation that comes when we admit the truth about me. I am wicked and sinful. And yet in Christ, we receive God's verdict. I am more loved and more accepted. And if that's me, how the heck can I look at you, you, any of you, and go, we're done. To the degree we believe this, to the extent to which this is real, is extent to which you and I will speak the truth in love. And when we speak the truth in love, the result will be healing. The result might be repentance. And the result might be someone encountering Jesus for the first time. to people who deserved judgment to be dismissed. 2,000 years ago, the Son of God took on flesh and bone is an ultimate act of saying to a lost, broken, and fallen 
rather than depart from me, Jesus said on the cross. Come in. I embrace you. There's healing, there's restoration. It is to those of us that God has given his message of truth in earthen vessels. Take the gospel deep into your heart daily, moment by moment, throughout this week. And be a conduit of his truth. Be a conduit of the gospel as you speak truth in love. As you speak truth in love to a world that desperately hungers for it.